Our sermon passage today is Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. I'll invite you to turn to that now. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can find that on page 867. I really wasn't sure what I should preach on today as we celebrate the 180 years of God's faithfulness to us here at Newport. Um, didn't know if I should prepare a special message on some passage of Scripture, but when I looked into the Gospel of Luke and saw what the next passage was in our study of that Gospel, um, this passage that the Lord put before us today seemed to be a most excellent passage for the occasion of the day. Because really, isn't this what every church should be about? Declaring the glory of Christ. And that's what this church has been doing because of the Lord's kindness and mercy and faithfulness for 180 years. And I pray that the Lord will enable us to continue to declare and make much of the glory of Christ for another 180 years or until he comes again. And may all we who hear seek to um, honor him and give glory to him with our lives. Again, our passage today, Luke 9, verses 28 through 36. Hear the word of the Lord. Luke writes and says, Now about eight days after these sayings, he, Jesus, took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory in the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said, as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days of anything what they had seen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is God's word for you today. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord will endure forever. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, reveal your glory to us again this morning. Lord, do that through your word and through your spirit we pray. Amen. Well, to say the least, we can most definitely call this a glorious passage. Luke tells us that, that Jesus went up to the mountain to pray. And he, he, notice he says he went up to the mountain. But we really don't know exactly what mountain that was. He goes up to the mountain to pray, and he, he takes with him, Luke says, Peter and James and John. 
These three, as you probably know, formed a kind of inner circle of Christ's closest disciples. Luke tells us in verse 29 that while Jesus was praying, that the appearance of his face was altered and his clothes became dazzling white. In Mark's gospel, he says that Christ became became intensely bright. Matthew says his face shone like the sun. It's in this moment that the glory of the second person of the Godhead, God the Son, began to shine through. Throughout most of Jesus' life during his incarnation, his deity was veiled. But in this moment, the glory of God breaks through. Now here's a question to consider. What do you think? Did Jesus cause himself to be transfigured like this on purpose? Or might this occur even as a bit of a shock to him, just as it was for Peter and James and John? Was was it something that Christ caused to come about intentionally? Or did this come instead from the mind and the will of the Father. Luke begins this passage by saying that this event occurred about eight days after saying these things. Now what's Luke talking about there? What were the things that Jesus had made mention of eight days prior? Well, let's look. Look at verse 18. Please have your Bibles open throughout Throughout our message today, I encourage you to do that every time you hear God's word uh, proclaimed. Verse 18, Luke again says that Jesus was praying then. And then it wasn't just the three, but all 12 disciples were there with him. And then Christ asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? The disciples respond saying, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And to that Jesus says to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter responds saying, you are the Christ of God. You might remember how Matthew records Peter's response. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what happens immediately after Peter confesses Christ, according to Luke's gospel here? Well, look at verse 22. Jesus then tells the disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now look at verse 31. What is it there that Moses and Elijah and Jesus are talking about? They were talking about Jesus going to Jerusalem to suffer and to be killed. Yes, at the hands of sinful men, at the hands of the chief priests. But also by whose hand? By the will and by the hands of God himself. Jesus would be like the the bulls and the goats of the Old Testament who would be sacrificed to make atonement for the sins of the people. He'd be like the scapegoat of Leviticus 
which was to be driven outside of the camp. And he'd be the true and final Passover lamb who'd be slain so that the people of God might be delivered. The Passover man sacrificing his life so that the people of God might live. And let me ask you this. Through whom did the Lord speak to establish this sacrificial system? It was Moses. And through whom did the Lord speak and make promises of one to come upon whom the Lord would place the iniquity of us all? It was the prophets. And who is it now with whom Jesus is speaking about all that he's going to soon accomplish in Jerusalem? It's Moses representing the law. And it's Elijah representing the prophets. In Matthew 13, 17, Jesus told his disciples, Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they did not see it. They long to hear what you hear, but they did not hear it. But now, Moses and Elijah are seeing what they have long longed to see. And they're hearing what they have longed, longed to hear. The Lord Jesus Christ in the fullness of his glory. And Peter and James and John, who who in part represent a a kind of first glimpse audience of, of every follower of Jesus, we all will one day see Jesus in his glory. Just like here. We'll see him like that either in heaven or we'll see him like that first at his second coming. You know, we've begun a new kind of greeting, a new kind of confession of faith, if you will, at the start of our worship service lately, where we say Christ has come. Christ is crucified. Christ is risen from the dead. Christ is coming again. And if you think about it, those are all ways that the world has and will yet see the glory of Christ be manifest to mankind. Christ has come. Christ is crucified. Christ is risen from the dead. Christ is coming again. Brothers and sisters, that's the very message that's been proclaimed from the pulpit of this church now for a hundred years. In 80 years. And as I made mention of earlier, I pray that by the power and the protection of the Holy Spirit and the will of God, I, I pray that that same proclamation will continue to go forth from the pulpit of this church for another 180 years or until the Lord comes again, comes again in glory. But these events didn't just take place for the blessing of Moses and Elijah nor only for the sake of Peter and James and John, but for who else's sake might this event have occurred? For Jesus' sake. Luke doesn't tell us what Jesus was praying about, 
But it's, it's reasonable to believe that he was praying to the Father about what he'd soon be facing in Jerusalem. When the Father would ask of him to suffer and to give his life as a ransom for his people. Look at verse 30 and 31. And, and you'll see that Jesus isn't the only one to appear in glory in this passage. But look at verse 31. Moses and Elijah also appear in glory to Jesus. The Father here give Moses and Elijah a special ministry to Jesus. And what's that ministry? Well, look at verse 31 again. They spoke to him about what he was soon to accomplish. Just as the Father sent angels to minister to Jesus in the wilderness during his 40 days of fasting and his 40 days of temptation, here now we see the Father send Moses and Elijah, representing the law and the prophets, representing the manifold testimony of all of Holy Scripture and all of creative and redemptive history to minister to and to encourage and to strengthen Jesus in advance in in preparation for all that would soon be required of him. And Moses and Elijah appearing in glory also represents how God is saving all of the elect, saving all of whom Christ will give his life for. For we'll all be made to be blameless and without spot or blemish, no more marred from the effects of sin, but made like Jesus, recreated into his image. Romans 8, 29, for those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. 1 Corinthians 15, 49, just if we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And 2 Corinthians 3, 18, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. From one degree of glory to another. Every follower of Jesus will one day be every bit as glorious in appearance as Moses and Elijah appear here. And and here in this event on this mountain, Jesus sees a foretaste of what that will be like. He sees a picture of his bride prepared radiantly for him. In these two men, Moses and Elijah, in glory. And that's encouraged, that's intended to encourage and to strengthen Jesus for what lies ahead for him. And beloved of God, let that encourage your heart as well. Let your heart be encouraged by what awaits you in glory as well. In that day when all of the promises of God, all of the promises of the law, all of the promises of the prophets will be fulfilled and revealed to you as they are here for Jesus. In verse 22, Jesus says that that he'll be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. But who is he not rejected by here? By his father. Knuckleheaded Peter then makes this foolish comment about erecting three tents, to which Luke then adds this 
kind of hilarious editorial comment about how Peter didn't know what he was talking about. Not a first time for Peter. But then we learn in in verse 34 that, that as Peter was saying that, a cloud overcame them. And of course, that brings to mind of how God led the people of God in the wilderness after the exodus in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And in verse 35, Luke says that a voice came out of that cloud. And like what had occurred at the baptism of Jesus as he began his earthly ministry, the Father speaks audibly. And the words of the Father here, as Jesus is preparing to go up to Jerusalem to complete his earthly ministry, they're similar to the words of the Father at the baptism of Jesus when he was beginning his ministry. The voice of the Father's affirmation of his Son, preparing him, strengthening him. This is my Son, my chosen one. Or as Matthew says in his account, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And friends, know this. If you're trusting in this one and only Son of God, His chosen one. If you're trusting in this Jesus as your only hope for your salvation, know that the Father delights to say those same words over you. That this is my beloved Son. This is my beloved daughter. These are my chosen ones. Yes, Jesus will be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. But he's not rejected by his father here. But instead, he's affirmed. This is my son. This is my chosen one. And then the father adds these words. Listen to him. You know, this is a kind of rebuke, especially for Peter. You might remember that after Peter rightly answered Christ's question of who he was in Matthew's account, and then when Christ told the disciples that he must suffer and die, you might remember that to that Peter said, Never, Lord. That will never happen to you. I won't let that happen. And you might remember that to that Christ said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And let that be a lesson to us. It's rarely a good idea for us to tell Jesus that he's wrong. And here, the Father tells Peter and James and John to listen to what Jesus says. Don't argue with him. Don't discount what he has to say. But instead, listen to him. This is a particular word for Peter and James and John. They've been selected by the Lord to be Christ's apostles, his spokesmen. They would record and communicate the teachings of Christ to the early church after Christ's ascension. And then through their writings in the New Testaments. But these words from the Father to listen to Jesus are also a word of instruction for you and I as well. And every person, the one true God, Yahweh, speaks authoritatively. And he declares that Jesus is his son. 
His chosen one. And there is no other. There is no other way of salvation. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. He alone is the one way to the Father. He alone is the only way that sinful people such as you and I can be reconciled to the Father and receive His free offer of eternal life through faith in the Father's one and only Son who did indeed go up to Jerusalem and suffer and die to give His life as atoning sacrifice for your sins and for mine. Friends, that's what we see displayed on this table that's set before you today. Do you believe these things? Do your ears and your heart hear that? Do they delight in that? Do you listen to these words and receive them as the gospel truth? Do you hear the words of Christ Do you hear the words of the Father? Do you hear and do you acknowledge and receive and and submit to these words as being what they are? The authoritative Word of God. If you do, you are blessed. In a way, not all that dissimilar to how Peter and James and John were blessed to be with Jesus that day on the Mount of Transfiguration. Hebrews 1.3 tells us that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And you are blessed if you see Him as such. Even if only through the eyes of faith. 2 Corinthians 4.4 tells us that, that unbelievers aren't able to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. But two verses later in 2 Corinthians 4.6, Paul says that for those of us who embrace Christ in faith, God who has said, let light shine out of the, out of the darkness, has shone into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know, Peter and James and John remembered what they saw that day on the mountain. John, later writing those beautiful, familiar words of adoration of Christ in John 1.1 and John 1.14 and elsewhere. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we beheld His glory. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. People of God, behold your King, high and lifted up, exalted and glorious. Pray with me again. Oh, Jesus. You are the glorious one. You are the one beyond compare. Jesus, continue to reveal your glory to us. Father, reveal your glory. Spirit, reveal your glory and and be faithful to your ministry to make much of the Father and the Son. And Lord, as you do that in our lives, may we do the same. Showing forth your image of making much of the glory of Jesus Christ.
In his name we pray. Amen.